All right, how many of you uh, how many of you know that reading the Bible is different than reading Hallmark cards? <laughs> I I really hope you know that because a lot of people that you talk to or or you know that that um, that want to kind of talk religion with you. Um, they kind of view the Bible as little hallmark cards, little little pithy statements that, that always make you feel good and, and all of that. But but even if you wouldn't call yourself a serious student of the Word, even if you just started to read God's Word, it ought to make you scratch your head. It ought to make you have some tension as you read it. I just read a passage that if you were here last week, you already have the tip-off to the tension. But the tension found in Galatians is this. In chapter 2, it says this. Bear one another's burdens. A few verses later, it says, Each one of you should carry your own load. And you ought to look at that and go, Huh? How can that be? Which is it? Are we supposed to do this? Or are we supposed to do that? So last week, I'm not going to review the whole sermon for you. It's online if you want to go pursue it. But a lot of good stuff in there. But here's the gist of it. Here's one of the big ideas. That each one has a burden to carry. Each one has a load to carry. We use this idea of a camelback. It's really the word for a light backpack. Each one is to carry their own load. And Paul uses a different word there than when he says that we're also supposed to lift heavy burdens of others. Those of you who've lived enough life know that emergencies come along. Financial emergencies, spiritual emergencies, social emergencies spiritual ones. And when those emergencies come on, that becomes a heavy burden. And all of a sudden, we're called collectively to, to get in on that and lift that. Now today is how to tell the difference. What, what you ought to begin to think about is this. Well, how do we know if it's someone's own load that they're supposed to be carrying? And how do we know when it's an emergency? How do we know when it's something that's really a heavy load that I'm supposed to Galatians 6.2 and go bear it with them or for them. That's what we're going to get into today. We're going to get into some of the practical, concrete help of, of discerning those things. Now, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, and we're going to start there this morning. Built into the Bible are practical, concrete uh, helps to needs and actions to meet those needs. So some of us walk in here and we go, we we don't know what those needs are. If only I knew what the needs were, then I could help meet those needs. What are they? The Bible speaks to that. Well, okay, I know what the needs are, but I don't really know how to do that. I don't know if I'm gifted that way. The Bible speaks to that. Uh, I want to show you just one sliver passage. uh, And and this is just woven all through the scriptures. But I want to show you um, how, how, uh, how out in the open this is. Matthew 25, verse 40. And if you aren't turning there, you will just recognize perhaps this line uh, from, and you'll be able to fill in the rest of the story. It's, It's Jesus telling a parable and he says this, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now if you were raised in church or studied your Bible for any length of time, your your brain can already begin to extrapolate what that story was about. If you turn there, you can just start looking and seeing. Jesus is telling a story about meeting people's needs, about helping lift their burdens. What are the burdens? Feeding the hungry. Giving drink to the thirsty. Inviting in strangers. Clothing the naked. 
visiting those who are in prison. Now let me ask you, are there material financial needs today? Say yes. Are there needs of, um, are there social needs where people are needing to be invited in as a friend and not as a stranger? Say yes. Do people still have legal problems today? Yeah. So when, when we can sit in church and have this disconnect of saying, God, I will move on something if only I could be shown what a need is. Let's just not kid ourselves at the start of this morning to say there are people right now that those of you with a great arm could almost throw a rock and hit them. Wouldn't be very nice, but you could do it. Who are hungry. Not in a metaphorical sense. In a literal sense. Who are thirsty. Who are strangers and needing to be invited in. Who are underclothed and who have legal issues. So, I want to just set the tone for, for the start. For my own heart as much as for yours. Let's not leave this cutesy church and, and think it, it's, it's kind of like in this metaphorical sense, but in a very real sense. Here are some of the needs. Now, did you, do you know Greek and, and Hebrew to study this and get at the meaning of that? Probably not. That's a nugget of truth. It's just, if you're just walking the path, you reach out and lift that one and go, oh, there's the needs. I see them. Just a common story that Jesus tells. They're right there in our Bible and they're present for us to reach out and pick up. I want to give you three things. If you're taking notes, you can write this down as the first one. Uh, the, first, the first one is this, to engage. You want to know practical, concrete help about how do I get started in this or how do I keep moving in this? Here's the word, engage. There's some little parentheses next to it. And that parentheses is for this. I want you to write, yes. Me in there. Because some of us feel we have the spiritual gift of thinking about doing good things and how much other people should actually do those good things. So, so this is for you to write engage and then write in parentheses, yes, me. Okay, that's what that little parentheses is for. Each Christian is to carry their own backpack, is to carry their own load. And each Christian is to serve others by bearing burdens. Flip over to Luke 10. I want to go to another well-known parable to get us thinking on, on this. In Luke 10, starting in verse 30, Jesus is telling another story, one of his favorite ways to teach. He's out telling a story and he says this. Probably very familiar to many of you. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Two guys come along, pass them by. Verse 33, skip down there, it says this, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now to build the bigger context, Jesus is answering this question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't jump to the good Samaritan. What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second? It's like it. Right. Call it the golden rule. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Do these and you'll live. Then this guy, it says this, but seeking to justify 
himself asks, what's the question? Who is my neighbor? So the motive behind his question is really evident. It's seeking to justify himself. I mean, who really is my neighbor? When we start talking about needs, it's pretty easy, isn't it, to say, well, I can't, I can't meet every need. No, but you could probably meet a need. You could start there. So seeking to justify himself, he asks, well, who's my neighbor? That's when he launches into what we call the Good Samaritan. Now, at the end of it, he basically asks this, who proved to be his neighbor? It's the one who showed compassion. That's engagement. It's the one who engaged. It's the one who actually took the time to stop what he was doing and engage with a need that was right in front of him. Now, when he says, who proved to be the neighbor, I ask you, neighborhood Bible church. Is there any instruction for us? Neighborhood Bible church. Are we getting this, right? Who's going to prove to be the church that's the good neighbor? It's the one who shows compassion. I mean, in its simplest form, the way you engage is you just begin to have compassion on people. Some of you say, but I don't feel compassion. I don't have that. We're going to see that it's actually even God's grace that you can even see a need outside your own. If you're seeing needs outside your own, you're indebted to God's grace to even observe that. Because the flesh wants to feed the, 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 its own self and care for its own self. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me put this out to you. I believe that every Christian can engage because every Christian is gifted to do so. Some of you are not very compassionate people. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> Some of you are insanely compassionate people. You just sweat compassion. You bleed compassion. So I'm not talking about a natural predisposition to have a certain kind of what we would term as compassionate, but rather I would say this. I think that every Christian is gifted uh, in at least a couple of ways. Look at this verse on the screen. You can just write this down. 1 Peter 4.10. Each one, not just the compassionate people, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering grace in its various forms. Each one is really important there. Various forms is really important there. Some of the ways that you will bear burdens looks nothing like the way someone bears burdens over here. Some of the gifts that you have and the way that they're administered look completely different than people on the other side of the aisle from you this morning. But every Christian is gifted in at least two ways. I know some of you go, what gifts? What is he talking about? The first is spiritually. Every Christian is given spiritual gifts or gift. And then there's also the physical kinds of gifts. Physical kinds of gifts are material. If you want to break it down, it's stuff you see and stuff you don't. Some of you are gifted in, in, in ways, uh, all of you are gifted in ways in, in, in things you can't see, you can't measure or put a, put a, you know, a weight to, but it's there. And then all of you have a body. All of you have strength and air in your lungs and, and material things that you've been entrusted to, to steward, and those are gifts as well. 
So spiritual. What are spiritual gifts? Here's some of them. Wisdom and hospitality and prophecy and healing and discernment and faith. They all differ, but they all have one purpose. They're given to build up the body. Stuff you can see. Your strength, your health, your time, your money. Gifts that are given to you in its various forms. And you being able to use those to build other people up. Now, uh, in some churches, uh, I didn't grow up in a church like this, but in some churches, um, they have a time where it's testify! And there's time to like stand up and give testimony in the sanctuary about what God's doing. I think we could learn from that, frankly. We're a little bit more Silicon Valley with the way we do it. This week, I posted something really simple on the city. I said, how is it that someone has come alongside and lifted your heavy burden, Christian? And if you haven't checked it out yet, go check it out. It was such a blessing just to read through different ways, different ailments, different emergencies that came on. And the way that, that people are, are administering God's gifts in their various forms right here in this body. Don't do it right now on your smartphone. I'm watching. Just kidding. You can do it. Um, but, but that just, what's neat about that is as one person begins to share this happened, you go, well, I can do that. I know how to bring a meal. That counts. That counts as serving God. I'm good on that. I like to cook, actually. Or someone else who says, you know what, this really meant a lot that this person just called me every week during this season of, of grief. You mean a phone call? I, I, I can do that. Yes. That's what we're talking about. So just even hearing testimonies from others sometimes uh, stirs us in, in some good ways. Uh, built into this passage is an example. It's an illustration of burden bearing that's kind of kind of buried in the passage. So now go to, to Galatians chapter 6 and look at verse 1. Verse 1 is an example of the principle found in verse 2. Verse 2 says, we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 1 is an example of that. And the example is that of ministering to, bearing the burden of, a sinning sibling. A brother or sister who who is sinning. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So just as there are medical emergencies, so there are spiritual ones. What are we to do during a spiritual emergency? The Bible gives us instruction on that. First of all, a quick look at the burden. The idea of being caught in a transgression, uh, if you just read that, depending on your mood or what you're thinking, you might just think whatever you apply to it, but language matters. He's not talking about caught as in witch hunt caught. Gotcha! It's not that kind of caught in sin. It's the idea of a slower runner being overtaken by a faster pursuer. So there's a person who, who, is, who is going along and gets overtaken by sin. Can we relate to that? Of course we can. So someone has been ensnared in sin. Someone's been caught in sin. What, what are we to do? Well, the what is put out there pretty simply. We're to restore. When a brother or sister is caught in transgression, in a sin, overtaken by a sin, the goal is restoration. We're told, restore that brother. Restore that sister. Don't punish. Don't lecture. Don't kick while they're down. Restore them. That's helping bear a burden. 
How about who? Who's supposed to do it? It's right there in the text. Don't need to know Greek. It's been translated well for us. It's the spiritual. It's the spiritual. You come across someone who appears to have stopped breathing. What should you do? If you know the answer to that, would you stand right now? Stand up if you know what you should do if someone has stopped breathing. Stand up. Okay. All right. Look around you. Okay? This could be really helpful. All right. Now, pause for a moment. The last one that I just saw to stand up was John Garza. Don't pick him. All the rest of you sit down. Now, I would have been John Garza, just so you know. I've been certified in CPR about four or five different times as a youth pastor and as an adoptive parent. But I'd be more like John. I kind of know. Um, I probably next service, I don't see many of them in here. We have so many ER and fire and police staff in this church that probably next service, there's going to be about ten that are going to go straight up. I'll tell you what. The one you want reviving you is the one that stood up right away. Siri, uh, what do we do when someone's not... That's not the person you want. You don't want them Googling it. So who's the spiritual? Who's the spiritual? It's the one who knows what to do, right? Here's what's interesting about CPR. Probably many of you have been trained in it. But what happens when you don't use something? You lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it, right? So... So, uh, so, so there are many of you that when it comes to a spiritual emergency, you know, Matthew 18 might be kind of rolling around your head. You're like, I think that's like a confrontational verse where you're supposed to walk through some stuff. Um, I'm sure Bible Gateway's got some good stuff. Let me just, let me Google some stuff. Let me get back to you. Um, that's, that's not the person probably that, that you want in that situation. So what I want to do with, with, with drawing that parallel is this. A spiritual person um, understands spiritual health, requires wisdom and skill, catch this, that is given and perceived by spiritual people. And, and, it's, and it's different than just worldly wisdom. It's different than just the advice that we might get from our favorite blogs. It's people who are in step with the Spirit, something we've been looking a lot at in Galatians. Two verses I have written down for you. You don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There are things that might go on in spiritual restoration that will feel, look, and and seem like the exact opposite wrong thing to do. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So is the one who's to do the restoration supposed to be a super-Christian? No. A professional paid Christian? No. But it should be someone who's listening to, keeping in step with, not just spirit-led, but spirit-following, actually walking with the spirit. 
That's who you and I both want to come in and be at our side when we've stopped breathing. When we're bleeding out. We don't want someone who stands up 20 minutes later and goes, I think I can help. So to walk with spiritual people. Uh, finally, how are we to do this? Um, it says we're to do this gently and we're to do this on guard. We're to come and do this with a spirit of gentleness. You know what a spiritual person who's coming to administer restoration to you is going to get? They're going to get grace. They're going to get restoration because they've been restored. Not just once a long time ago in 1983 at a conference. They understand the comfort of God. They've been freely given upon, and so they freely give. So the way that they're going to do it, the way that this restoration looks, go back up to the fruit of the Spirit, friends, in Galatians 5. All those, all that fruit is going to be evident even in how they administer restoration. Now let me dispel a myth. The Bible isn't like reading a Hallmark card, and spiritual restoration isn't like going to Disneyland. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I'm not saying there's not rebuke involved. I'm not saying there's very difficult, hard conversations. I'm not saying that you're going to go, hey, it tickles. It doesn't. It's going to be tough. It's really rough work. Surgery ain't pretty, right? But here's an example of people coming alongside others and bearing burdens for them. It's more load than they've been able to, to, to bear on their own. So that's just, that's just one example. We've looked at uh, material burden-bearing, and here's a great example of spiritual burden-bearing. Here's a quick question for our small group. Small group, uh, community group leaders, as well as community group participants. Do our community groups function like this? Does this look like a snapshot of what goes on on a week-to-week basis? doesn't mean that's the whole thing. But one of the functions of why we're meeting together week after week after week in homes and and here at the church and elsewhere is to come alongside and engage at this level. Far be it from us to have spent five years with one another and not know how to be praying for a brother or sister who's in that same circle and what their main source of getting caught is. So, community groups, community group leaders, and let's raise the temperature. I think a lot of this is going on. But we have some growth to do there as well. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller uh, in a great book called Ministries of Mercy. He says, Every member has kingdom power to destroy strongholds. Through us, Jesus continues to immerse himself in the needs of the world. Remember when Jesus said, it's better that I go away? Man, he's got an army now that covers the globe immersing himself in burden-bearing for the glory of God. Every member has a role in that. All right. The only way that happens, though, is if we engage. As soon as you engage, something will trigger in your brain that says there's something more than just engaging. And it might look something like this. The second word to write down is diagnose. As you begin to diagnose, I mean, as you begin to engage, you will immediately start to diagnose things. How many of you saw someone asking for something this week holding a cardboard sign of some sort? Raise your hand if you saw someone. 
Okay, once again, I would say this. I would say it's a grace of God that we even lifted our eyes out of what we were doing to observe them. Uh, having been friends with many homeless people, even here in this area, here's a great thing. I, I rarely give money to, to people who, who, are, who are holding a sign. In fact, I don't know if I've done that in years and years and years. But I always look at them in the eye and I smile. And if they're right there, I ask how they're doing. I saw a woman holding a sign um, four days ago at Almaden and, uh, and the exit to 85. I've never seen her before. And she had a sign that caught my eye. It said, I bet you can't hit me with a quarter. I thought, I thought that was hysterical. And if I wasn't four lanes over, I would have complimented her on her humor. That was great. Most of you who saw someone asking for something with a sign didn't throw something at them with the intent to injure them, correct? Tell me I'm correct. I just need to know who I'm preaching to because if it's, if that, that's a different sermon. You didn't get out of your car and start kicking them, right? But the wrong kind of help can be exactly like that if we, if we don't diagnose the problem. Handing them a $50 bill, a 20 or a 10, depending on your guilt level, maybe, like not chucking a quarter like to make a cutesy sign, but to injure them, something we would never do. We would never get out and start punching them. But sometimes the help we give can hurt the people we're trying to help simply because of this. We've misdiagnosed the problem. We've misdiagnosed the correct way to help this person. If we rush in with the wrong help and the wrong diagnosis, not only will it hurt them, it could very well end up hurting us as well. Miriam Adonai tells a story that that an African friend told her. She said this, there was an elephant and a mouse and they were best friends. And they decided to have a party one day. And they invited all the animal friends over for a party. And when the time came, there was food preparation and there was food and drink and dancing and it was a marvelous get-together. And no one ate more, of course, than the elephant. No one drank more than the elephant. And no one danced with more joy than the elephant. And as the party was winding down, elephant turns to his friend Mouse and says, Mouse, have you ever been to a better party than this one. Mouse? Mouse. Started to look around for Mouse. And to his absolute horror and disgust, there's little Mouse's body ground into the dirt, dead. Here's what this African friend was telling her missionary friend. Sometimes doing missionaries with you Americans is like dancing with an elephant. Get the picture? We can come in and want to help. Our intentions are fantastic, but there are something called unintended consequences even to seemingly great decisions. Some of you have thought and wrestled with this long and hard because some of you have lived overseas and given your life to this for for seasons of time. And when you do that, it's like it goes away when you come here. You've thought about, how, how is it that I'm helping? Is it really helping? How can you help without hurting others and yourself in the process? 
I've got a book list uh, on the back of your bulletin this morning that are, these are just some of the ones, some of the more recent ones that um, I've not just read, I've read a couple of times because they've, they've been helpful to me. I've already mentioned Ministries of Mercy, a fantastic book by Tim Keller who, who talks about some things of really doing it from a, a suburban Western context. Um, another book is a, is a book called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate uh, Sort of the Plight of the Poor Without Helping Them, uh, Without Hurting Them or Ourselves. And he brings up three different kinds of ways to help the materially burdened. So I want to just... I want this to be just a, a toe dip to get us thinking in some ways. Number one is the idea of relief. Relief is characterized uh, by being immediate, um, by being uh, seldom, and by being temporary. Someone comes to you and is bleeding profusely, but only in cuts and scratches. They have several cuts and scratches on them. Uh, and you happen to have in your possession um, a Costco-sized pack of gauze and a Costco-sized pack of Band-Aids. Um, and by the way, you've been praying, God, would you bring some needs into my life that I could minister to? And by the way, you work as an ER nurse. Pop quiz, should you help this person? Yes! Don't pray about it anymore! Stop praying. Yes, the pastor said stop praying. Don't check in with your small group. Please don't call me. Help the person. True story. I'm driving with a gallon of gas in my car one time down Saratoga Avenue with my brother-in-law, and I see a guy driving the other way, not driving, pushing his motorcycle the other way. I shouted out the window, sucker. No, I'm kidding. I did it. That's an easy one, right? That's where God just says, here, I'm going to make this real simple. We popped a UE, took five minutes to pour some gal, off he went. Sometimes that just happens, okay? Just seize on those and thank the Lord. Just say, thanks, God. I must have needed a, a slow pitch on that one, right? The, uh, not enough coffee in my system. I get it. Sometimes they're really, really simple. Most of the times, they're not quite as easy. But James 2.15 says this, Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, and, and, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Pretty blunt. What good does that do? You won't always have it that easy. So, take a risk, start to engage, and you will begin to grow in this. How on earth am I going to know, is this a backpack that they're supposed to be carrying or is this a heavy burden that I'm supposed to come in and start to lift? You won't know oftentimes until you engage, until you walk into that. What does that take? That takes some time spent. That takes relationship. That takes starting to get to know the person. That takes starting to get to know the bigger picture. I hope you err on lifting other people's backpacks for them sometimes. Because that means you're probably engaged at a level that's sacrificial and requires some faith. I hope there are times you're like, why am I carrying this backpack? Here, you take this backpack. Because that means that you've, that means that you've erred on that side of being too giving. Tell you what, the church in San Jose doesn't have a reputation problem as being too generous. We just don't. I think there are some insanely generous people in this place. And I, I wish people could know the real Jesus and know real Christians. 
I think we have a long way to kind of err on that side to where we're getting a bad rap about that. Remember from last week, Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained, catch this, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The way you grow in this is you start to walk in it. You start to engage, and all of a sudden your brain goes to discernment. If you're watching the news one night and you see uh, devastation caused by a tsunami and thousands of people who are without food, clothing, and shelter, the basic needs of life, there's a commercial. You get up, refill the chip bag. You sit back down. The next story is on the homeless in your city who have no, not enough food, not enough clothing, and not enough shelter. There's something in your brain that immediately starts to diagnose the problem differently. You think in your brain, the needs on the surface look awfully similar, but I bet the help is somewhat different. What you're getting at is diagnosis of saying, what would really help this person and not just perpetuate the problem? Relief is one of those. One of the things you can do is this. I went to New Orleans with my uh, son and a few other uh, people, one of whom's in the room with me, um, soon after Katrina. And we did not know the needs there. We didn't know if we were going to help or hurt people. You know what we did? We submitted to people on the ground who had moved there permanently until this crisis was over who knew the deal. And when they said, go do this, we went and did it because we were part of a team. We couldn't possibly understand that in a short, week-long period. So we just yielded to those who did know. So sometimes you'll, you'll need to know. I have a heart for people in this city who are not doing this or who don't have that or who are burdened by this. Go find out people who understand and get in line with them. All right, the second one is rehabilitation. Very different from relief. If relief is immediate, temporary, and seldom... By the way, most every need you will come across in this valley will not be relief. They are not bleeding out. You know what it sounds like when they come to you? It sounds like they're bleeding out. People who come to Ben and I at church here sound like they're about to die. And because my powers of discernment through the Holy Spirit and through using it are keyed up, I'm able to ask a few key questions, listen, check in with the Spirit, and get a sense of things. Most of the time, your friends, family, and the people who are around you are not in need of, of, of relief. Sometimes they are. That's why the word seldom is in there, by the way. Rehabilitation. This is for when the bleeding stops. It's characterized by doing with a person. And what it does is it breaks down the inferior-superior relationship, right? I'm the giver, you're the receiver. One of the things we see in Galatians 5.26 is that if you have a superior view of yourself, you go around provoking each other. Remember that from last week? If you have an inferior view of yourself, you go around envying other people. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives us a brand new image of ourself that doesn't compare with other people, and a brand new image of other people. I'm joyful that you're made exactly how God designed you. He dreamt you up. Therefore, it is my privilege to serve you and not to compare myself or find my value or my lack of value based on you. That's quite a sentence. All right. Rehabilitation. Um, this is the idea of, of just coming in and, and, um, and working with people on things. It, it is a longer-term investment. It's, it's characterized by saying, what can I do with you? The best trips I've ever done in Mexico were building trips that I did where um, if dad had to go off and work 
for 12 hours a day, true story, for the whole week, seven days without a break to make ends meet. Here was 12-year-old son busting it the entire time on the roof with me, putting a roof on. In fact, he was a better roofer than me, which isn't hard. At the end of the time, when I get to stand there and hand the keys of the new house to this person, to this family, and tears are rolling down everyone's face, it wasn't that we're the superior ones coming and and giving to them. It's that we built this house together in a very real sense. It's that we pray for you. Now, would you pray for us? And there's this partnership that kind of goes on. The blessing is to go back year after year after year and to watch the 12-year-old turn into the 18-year-old. Again, true story. Same area in Mexico where just year after year we got to build houses and see them um, change lives. We took this trip to New Orleans, I mentioned, and um, I came across this picture that, that I think might have been one of the most important parts of the missions trip. It's a picture on the porch of this 100-year-old house that we were at. This is Ethan. And Ethan's eating a chili dog. And Ethan eating this chili dog was one of the most important uh, parts of that trip. We were out there in the blazing hot sun in August in New Orleans. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's hot. We're in the attic spraying the stuff, whatever that is. You guys know what it is. That's hot. You need to lose 25 pounds. Check in with me. I've got a plan. The last thing, to be totally honest, that I wanted at 12.30 on a hot summer's day in New Orleans was a hot chili dog. But I ate the chili dog because the owners of the house weren't able to paint like their granddaughter did. Their granddaughter came in and she worked with us. It was beautiful the whole week. In fact, our team of girls, it was so cool, our team of college girls brought her back to our base station and she spent the night playing games and sleeping in our sleeping bags and hanging out with us. It was like a sleepover. The grandparents were so old that they didn't want to come do the sleepover. You didn't want them on the ladder doing the painting, but you know what they did? They contributed in the way they could, which was to bring out chili dogs. So we all parked it on, the, on their porch and sat there and ate chili dogs. That's, that's just a picture of that. Now, here's a good rule of thumb. As you go in and look to bear burdens, here's the rule of thumb. Don't ever do for someone else what they can do for themselves. When someone is not breathing, mouth-to-mouth provides a service that they are clearly not able to do in that moment, the second that they start to breathe, how awkward is mouth-to-mouth? <laughs> Stop! <laughs> you know, I got it! I'm good! Yeah, but you've only had a few breaths. I'm still good. Thank you. So that's a hard one. It's a hard one because you can come in and make a world of difference. But how do you know when to get the hands off? It's hard sometimes to understand that. But that's, that's rehabilitation. The last one is, develop, is, is development. This is characterized by long-term, slow, deep-seated change. Uh, there's, a, there's a truth of people who, um, who often go off to South American and, and African nations where a lot of the locals will stand around, and they realize if they stand around long enough, the Westerner is going to get agitated, and they're going to take charge at some point, and they're going to start doing. They're going to start doing, because they're doers. We go and we fix stuff. We've only got a week down here. We got a, we got a, we got some deadlines to get to. Missionary training will tell you this. Don't do it. 
you keep standing around. They've got a totally different mindset of time anyways. There's an abundance of it, not a shortage. So don't you dare jump in. Otherwise, when you leave, what happens? More standing around waiting for the next one to come in. And you're actually kicking that person who needs your help. All right. Uh, by the way, here's a quick picture picture of Chris. Uh, we do uh, Grace Children's Home. You're going to hear a little bit more about that in just a second. Grace Children's Home is about development. They're there for the long haul. They are doing things that make a difference for a very long time, and it's slow progress. This is a picture of Chris, who for a long time has been going to Mexico, and here he's just doing something with, I think, Elizabeth, putting together a little toy she got. That's a great little snapshot of doing ministry with. All right, third one. I know you filler-outers, you're like, we got to get to the third one. Here it is. It's the word love. The word love just has to do with this. It's the idea that the motive matters. Bad motives can ruin good Acts, 1 Corinthians 13.2, if I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, I have all faith so as to even remove mountains, but I have not love, what am I? Say that loud. Nothing. You're nothing. If you have all of this but have not love, contrast that to Galatians 5.6. We looked at this weeks ago now, but Galatians 5.6, only faith working through love matters. That's what counts. Notice it's not gratitude working through love. It's not guilt working through love. It's not even giftedness working through love. It's faith working through love that matters. Just as you can harm someone if the problem is misdiagnosed, so you can harm someone if the motive is out of whack. If you jump into this, by the way, and you've missed the first three chapters of Galatians, it will turn into scorekeeping, frustration, religious activity, and bad breath. That's all scientific. If you don't get this concept right here, we are made right from God. It's been gifted to us. Then what this will turn into is, I better help a lot of people this week. I've been really screwing up. And as simple as that sounds, that pattern is repeated over and over and over in our lives. It's a favorite tool of the enemy to whisper that. It's called works theology, and Paul shatters it in the book of Galatians. He dismantles it. The cliff note version is found in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. God, we thank you for this morning. Thanks for for lifting the burden that none of us can lift for one another. That is the burden of guilt, the burden of shame, uh, and giving us, replacing that God with with hope and with eternal life. We celebrate that this morning. Um, God, even as we give, this is an opportunity to express worship to you um, as we sing, as we give in a tangible way. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.